Hey, you all. Welcome to Active and Connected Families. If your families are anything like mine, there are times that you notice that two of your kids can't even stand to be in the same room together. They drive each other crazy and they just go at it way more than they ever did before. This happened in our house last week. And honestly, it was all three of my boys and me. Um, But I think that was actually more because it rained for four days straight and we had nowhere to go and nothing to do. And there are also times in families where I notice that I'm spending way more time with one kid than I am with the other, or my husband is spending way more time with another kid than I am. And patterns like these are very typical, but because I'm a family therapist, I always start thinking about the underlying structures that are supporting these patterns, and I start thinking about why it's happening and what I can do about it. And in my practice, too, I work primarily with really busy families, and I know that relationships are the meaning of life. And in my work, I feel so honored to help people navigate the ups and downs of family life together. So because I see so many families, I've noticed that some patterns are leading to sibling rivalry or leading to difficulty with developing independence, just like my family. And so I thought I would share with you all some of the patterns and hierarchies and reasons behind what's going on for you and also the interventions that can help. So today I'm going to be talking a little bit about structural family therapy, and I'm going to give you some easy answers that are going to help some of the most typical problems that families are encountering. Thanks so much for listening. Active and Connected Families is a smart, relatable conversation with me, Dr. Amanda Sovic-Johnston, child psychologist, mother of three, and entrepreneur. I've spent my career providing family therapy and supporting high-achieving mothers, and maybe even more hours with my girlfriends trying to figure out how we can all feel more confident in our work and our relationships. And you all, there's one thing I've noticed. We're all struggling in some of the same places, and we're all looking for some down-to-earth advice that we can actually use. So on Active and Connected Families, I'll share some of the insights I've learned, strategies for those daily fights about laundry, some expert perspective on the bigger issues like the mental health crisis, and me chatting with my therapist friends about how we can all feel a little more active and connected in our lives. Throughout, I hope to make you laugh at least once, but I know I'll leave you with something that'll help you become a better parent and maybe even person. Thanks so much for listening. As a family therapist, I believe that an individual's mental health exists within the context of the family around them and the world around them. So the way that people feel and behave is related to their genetic predisposition. You know, there is nature in there for certain traits, but it's also influenced by the systems or groups where they interact, including their parents, their siblings, their schools, and their community. So when I'm thinking about what's going on with a kid in my office, I think about who they are and what it's like to live in their family, what their friends are like, what their home is like, their community. And then I come up with a plan of action for the whole family on how to make shifts that will help everyone feel better. And one reason that I think about family therapy so much is because I truly think that the changes that we make in families stick longer than the changes that an individual makes on their own. For instance, if I'm helping a child learn how to express their feelings with words instead of hitting, I also have to make sure that I've taught the parents how to recognize, hear, and reinforce that child for talking about their emotions. That's why I have done so many podcasts on how do we show our kids that we're really listening. 
if I have a teenager in my office who I'm encouraging to take more risks and become more independent, I also need to make sure that the parents are on board with some of these changes and able to manage their own anxiety about their child growing up. Most kids feel more success when their parents are making the changes alongside them, and most parents really want the support too. So that's why I love being a a family therapist. So I'm going to give you a really brief overview of some family therapy theory, and then I'm going to give you two rough patches that I see the most when the families and kids come into my office, and I'm also going to tell you their corresponding interventions. So one of the leaders in the field of family therapy is a guy named Salvador Mnuchin, and he created what's called structural family therapy. And that really looks at the family hierarchies and the family boundaries that we set among and between people in the family. So it's essentially who has the power, who has the responsibility, where are the alliances, like who is connected, and even what are the subsystems or the smaller systems that exist within the family. In a healthy family, there is a very clear balance of power and responsibility with each family member contributing to the whole family system in a positive way. Healthy family hierarchies promote a sense of stability, security, and cooperation with the family system and can lead to improved communication and relationship between family members. Now, I'm going to go over Mnuchin's types of hierarchies, and these can exist in families that look all sorts of different ways. One parent, two parents, three parents, different genders, same genders, multiple children. Take a look and listen to these ideas and see how they can apply to your family. So a healthy family hierarchy would be where the parental subsystem is over the child subsystem. And that makes sense and means that the parents have authority over their children and they offer guidance and support and the children respect and follow the rules and boundaries. You all, obviously this doesn't happen all the time and I can sit here and say this all the time and my children, you know, Robbie just drew all over my Volvo and I lost my mind with him. Um, And he didn't necessarily listen to our rules around don't only draw on paper, but it is what it is. The next healthy family hierarchy is spousal subsystem over the parent and child subsystem. And what that means is really just the marital relationship is prioritized over the parent-child relationship when the parents are married. And the parents are supposed to work as a team to provide a stable and supportive environment for their child, right? So it's not like, you know, the mom prefers working with the kids and prioritizes her kids over her partner all the time. Another subsystem is respect for their elders, where the grandparents are respected, but they are not too enmeshed in the family and providing significant day-to-day functioning of the family. I will say that this is a very Western ideal. It looks very different in Eastern cultures. And I think that thinking about how you want this to apply can be helpful. And then having clear boundaries. So each family member is aware of their role and responsibility. And here are the two areas where I see tough, tough spots, mostly, especially in busy families. So there's an issue that I see around these subsystems of parent and child dyads. And that's really where one parent and one child have a significantly stronger relationship than that same parent and the other children. So many of you think this might be crazy, but let me tell you what it looks like. Say you have a family of four, like a mom, a dad, a son, and a daughter. And I don't love using these stereotypical genders as an example, but it's just the easiest to explain with. So let's say the mom and the son have a ton in common. They both love sports and the school is right by her work. 
So she takes that son to and from school every day. She drives him to and from sports practices. When they get home at night, they have more in common. So they're talking about games or moves or whatever it is. And the dad has a similar relationship with his daughter. They both love thinking and learning. And he drives her to and from school and helps her with her homework every night. And they really love to play chess together. So their family seems to work quote unquote, perfectly, because they they each have a child that they take the majority of the responsibility for. But when the mom starts wanting to go out once a week with her friends just to, you know, have some fun, the son starts becoming disrespectful to the dad. He refuses to do his work, and he generally just has terrible, terrible evenings. And this makes sense, you all, because whenever it's just the dad, the daughter, and him, he is the second fiddle in this situation to his sister because his sister has a significantly better relationship with the father. Even worse, the son is being told what to do by a parent that he doesn't really feel connected to or a parent that he doesn't really feel like knows him or gets him, and he's mad about it. So when the mom gets back, she feels really guilty that, quote unquote, her child has had a tough night. She's resentful towards the the dad about it. And she stops going out to spend time with her friends because she feels like her son needs her so much. You all, this is a pretty extreme example, but seems like this play out in every family on some level, whether you have one adult in your house, more kids, three, four of them, two parents of the same gender, these patterns exist. And honestly, All of us adults have kids that we relate to a little bit better, whether it's because of age or interests, or even if it's just the logistics of who drives who where or who goes to bed earlier. Truly, I go to sleep really early in my house, and so I typically am responsible for the younger kids who go to sleep. It's just like a body clock thing, but I have to work on it. Now, I will say that these patterns become especially true right after a baby is born. And that is actually natural and healthy. The infant becomes sort of the mom's or whoever is nursing. If there is someone nursing, the baby becomes that person's child. And then the next youngest sort of is taking the other parent who isn't doing as much feeding and natural caretaking. The next oldest becomes that parent's child. But when these patterns where it's like the mom is taking care of the baby and then there's another parent who's taking care of the rest of the family, if those patterns last too long or they become too intense, it can truly imbalance a family and that's going to lead to sadness, anger, and honestly just lost opportunities for relationships. So take this example and think about if it's happening in a more subtle or more extreme way in your family. Do you only ever put one kid to sleep? I do. And now I need to think about, you know, switching it up. Are you significantly closer to one child? Is it very, very clear whose kid is whose in your family? If so, start making some subtle changes to mix it up. In this case, the one I just told you about, I would just have the dad start driving the son to sports practice once a week. They can talk in the car. The dad can get to know some of those kids' friends. They can, he can start learning to love that sport. Or I would have the mom and daughter think of some project that they could work on together based on whatever similar interests they may have. However you do it, try to rebalance things by making sure that you set up the routines and systems to ensure that each parent has a relationship with each child. And the other dysfunctional hierarchy that I see in families is related to sibling hierarchies, which are the patterns of power and authority among the groups of kids. These hierarchies can be based on factors like age, gender, personality, developmental needs, and role within the family. 
So in a healthy family, each child should be treated fairly, not equally, and kids should be challenged to communicate with their siblings in developmentally appropriate ways. So it's, you know, it's one thing if a two-year-old hits, an entirely different thing if an eight-year-old hits. When there is a strict hierarchy among the siblings, like one person is more important than the other or gets preferential treatment from the parents, or if one sibling's needs always take precedent, then the children as a whole, their whole mental health can be impacted. And I emphasize in this instance that kids are treated fairly based on their developmental stage when I talk about sibling hierarchies, because it is fair and right for the oldest children to have more responsibility because they're more mature and because they have more independence. The oldest shouldn't have too much responsibility, like being responsible for childcare all of the time at the detriment of their own needs, but they should certainly have more responsibility than their younger siblings. And in turn, they should have more independence than their younger siblings. And here is the problematic pattern that I see in so many families. And truly, it's maybe my primary intervention at this point. In some families, and especially those families when the kids are pretty close together in age, like within two years, I very, very frequently see parents put these kids on the same bedtime schedule. They have the same responsibilities, the same chores, the same activities. They have play dates together. Essentially, in these situations, the parents treat the siblings as if they are the exact same age because truly and honestly, it makes life so much easier. And as easy as it is for the parents, What happens is that they're actually treating their children unfairly because the oldest, who is more mature and has a better developed sense of self and wants more social time because that's what oldest kids do, they don't have more responsibility or independence than the younger kid. So what can happen is this. The oldest child starts to doubt their own abilities. They can become anxious about what they can and cannot do in relationship to their friends. They might see a friend who can stay up till 930, but they have to go go to bed at nine because that's better for the younger sibling. Or they can have lower self-esteem because they're not allowed to do as many independent things as their peers. And they think that they're only able to do what their younger sibling can do. They might start to resent their younger sibling and they might lash out at them and the sibling rivalry can just truly get out of hand. And all of that makes sense, you all, because in the oldest kid's mind, they're older and they should have more privileges. Moreover, they likely do have a better developed frontal lobe and they can handle more independence than their younger sibling, but they're not allowed to have it. So of course they're angry. I totally get it. So what I suggest in this case is to find a very, very small ways to separate your children by developmental stage. So the oldest may get to stay up just 10 minutes later, but they also may have to have an extra chore in those 10 minutes. Sorry, guys. They may be able to walk to a friend's house alone. The more you talk and recognize and kind of play up this increased responsibility, the more separate the older child will feel, even if the changes are really, really, really small. Because let's face it, when the kids are that close in age, it's a lot easier to put them to bed at the same time. So you might say, oh my gosh, it's amazing. You're so old. You get to stay up 10 minutes later, and then it's 10 minutes later and you're doing the same thing. And I'll also add here that I typically notice these patterns coming to a head for families when you have a third grader and a first grader. So like an eight and six-year-old who you've been able to kind of throw together for a long time, and all of a sudden the third grader is just not happy with it. And then I see it again between fifth and third grade. 
So like an 11 year old and an, and an eight year old. So if you've noticed that your similarly aged kids are getting into it more frequently, just take a step back and notice if you've been treating them like equals, not fairly, but if you've been treating them equally based on their developmental stage. And of course, take that whole thing with a grain of salt because it is true that there are differences among folks based on their birth order. Oldest kids do tend to be more responsible and youngest kids do tend to be more easygoing and relaxed. But it's when these two patterns go to extremes that you really, really need to check yourself and try to rebalance your family. Okay, y'all, to recap, think about the hierarchies within your family. Are you spending way more time with one child? Are you treating two kids that are different ages as if they are the exact same? If so, just try to mix up your structures, mix up your routines and schedules to promote more balanced hierarchies. And I will talk to you all soon. I hope you have a great summer. If you found this podcast helpful, go ahead and subscribe and share. And more importantly, if you think you or someone you love would benefit from collaborative therapy, psychological assessment, or psychiatry services, you can find out more about our practice at Active and Connected Family Therapy, www.activeconnected.com. Again, that's www.activeconnected.com. Thanks so much for listening.